Well, good morning. So this morning, uh, I want you to think about a time that you were challenged and uh, it was difficult and you had to exercise faith, okay? And I want you to also just to see in today's text how Jesus challenged people, not just people who were following him uh, haphazardly or uh, looking for a free lunch, but how he challenged them in a deeper way, even those who he knew the, uh, knew the best. Um, there was a Methodist, a Presbyterian, and a Baptist preacher who went fishing one day. The Methodist pastor forgot his worms, and so he walked on the water to shore, got his worms, and walked back to the boat. The Baptist pastor, excited now, wow, what faith. The Presbyterian pastor then realized that he forgot his lunch, so he walked on the water to the shore, got his lunch, and walked back to the boat. The Baptist pastor, now really excited, exclaimed, this is incredible. I'm in the presence of greatness, but I believe I have faith too. He told them that he needed to go to the restroom, so he stepped out of the boat and immediately sunk to the bottom. You can't follow someone else's path. You can't live in someone else's faith. And so as we look at at the story today about men who were just, just through a miracle and had just witnessed a miracle, and immediately thereafter, when tested, forgot about it. So if last week, the feeding of 5,000 was a lesson, today's a test. And so it's a test for us to kind of just reckon with, okay, what is it that I, what do do I trust in, and how do I handle life storms? Okay, how do I handle life storms? Uh, Quentin, it's going to be on, he's going to go on a mission trip, and what storm did you have? Well, okay, tested positive, COVID, blew him out of the water, and you think to yourself, okay, why is this happening, God? Because I'm sure that entered his, his mind, like, I've been preparing for this, I'm doing this. Now, you enter into your world. What, what has happened in your world in the last, oh, three months even, probably even a week, that has been a test, it's been a problem, it's been something that you couldn't solve by yourself? As we look today, we see that there's not only a storm, there's a test. And then we look back to last week and we look to this situation where they had been tested before. There's nothing to eat. If 5,000 men, 20,000 people, maybe plus, and they're in the middle of the U-cross with no houses around, no, no grocery stores or anything. And it's getting late, and Jesus, as great a teacher as he is, the disciples are like, man, you better send these people away because there's no food here, and what are they going to do? And so Jesus challenges his men and uh, if, if you've been in college before, the first thing you do when you get into a new class is you look at the syllabus, because the syllabus kind of tells you what you're up against, right? And it's also a way for the teacher to prepare you for the end test, which is going to be coming sooner than you think. And so Jesus has his syllabus, and he's working through the syllabus, but the, the disciples don't really know what's on the syllabus. This is a, a closed book syllabus. You don't get to see it. And so there's challenges, and they don't really know what he's doing. But God is 
in action, and Jesus is working through the situations of uh, life to teach his disciples what they need to have in their toolbox of faith and to grow their faith so that when he is gone, and it won't be very long, they're going to carry on the ministry. And so he has an end goal in, in, in mind, and he's teaching them. So last week, we talked about the abundance and how he fed 5,000 people. And then at the end of it, there was 12 basketfuls. And that was definitely signifying, or it should have spoke to the 12 apostles. Hey, you know what? Not only did I meet your needs, but there was, there was plenty left over. This week, we move right into, and this is immediately, the next verse is immediately, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And so as we look at this today, this section of text, we're going to move through Mark, which is our primary book. We're going to look at a part of John's bit of the same scenario. So these these are actually looking at the same story. And then look a little bit at Matthew because each one in his own recollection of the events, points out some different things that are valuable. And if we don't look at those, we might miss a few things that would be uh, known by the disciples, but we would miss. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. So the disciples are out in the lake. They're heading east, or they're heading west, by the way. They're in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and they're heading west, and they're heading against the prevailing wind, which is from the west. And so they're bucking the wind all the way. So later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. This is about 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. He was about to pass by them when they saw him walking in the lake. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. So you're straining, and you've got this problem, and you've got this thing that you can't solve, and you're wondering, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Have you ever thought to yourself, this is really hard. Is this, is, did I make a wrong, have you ever done that before? Have you ever made a wrong turn before? Oh, sure you have, okay. And you're straining, maybe you're straining, you're asking yourself the question, this is a really good question. Am I straining because I didn't listen to what God said, and now I'm going off into territory I shouldn't be in, Or is this part of his plan? I want you to think about that. Am I straining because I didn't listen and didn't take some some notes? Or is this my own doing? And could this be a part of possibly even a plan of discipline, which is is also still part of maybe the syllabus as well? And so the disciples are straining and they're wondering, what are we doing out here? He's not even here. We're, we're bucking the wind, and, and it's very, very difficult. And you think of the Sea of Galilee. It's, a, it's big, and it would be very difficult for them to do what they're doing. And they've been at it for a long time because they fed the people, and then they got immediately into the boat. It'd be about almost dark, and now it's 3 in the morning. Now, I'm not a water person, but if you put me in a boat and told me to, to row for the whole night... Uh, probably wouldn't work out too well. So they're tired. They're worn out. They're looking at things from the perspective of those two things. Did we make, did we, are we doing what he's supposed to do? Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and went down and, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. 
So Mark gives us this little insight at the very end in verse 52, which is really important because it points us back to what God was doing in his syllabus before when he fed the 5,000. In 52, it says, for they had not understood about the loaves. What, what part didn't they understand? Pretty much the, the big point, which was necessary to repeat lesson. So if you're a teacher and you test your class and they all fail, what's that in, is an indication of? Well, there's a couple possibilities. Okay. <laughs> but normally, if you're a teacher and you, you look at that and you go, and in education, you recognize, hey, you know, something's wrong here. So they didn't get it. So what do you, you, sometimes you look at you, right? Like, okay, so I didn't do a very good job of leading you through this. In this situation, Jesus sees and knows that they haven't had the level of faith that is required, and they didn't really understand that when they could do nothing to feed all these people, he said, you give them something to eat. And he pushed them to the point of realizing that they did not have the sufficiency to do what needed to be done. And therefore, my homework assignment for you and for us last time when, as you left was five minutes. And guess what? Every morning, five minutes to do what? Come before the Lord and say, Lord, I am insufficient for today. You guide me, provide for me, lead me through. And that's the lesson that Jesus has to teach them again because they, they did not get it. Because of why? The last, the last sentence, their hearts were hardened. Have you ever sat through a church service and your heart was hardened? Have you ever thought, I wish the guy would stop talking? I wish we'd move on to whatever, lunch or whatever it is. And you kind of, yeah, always, right? And you, sometimes you realize Jesus was talking and talking and talking to all these people. And, and, and then there was this feeding thing that went on. And all of the benefit of being right at Jesus' feet, a lot of people will say, if I could just walk with Jesus, I would have so much faith. And then you see these people who are just like you, and guess what? Their hearts were hardened, and that was the root cause of not, not learning. And so the hardened heart part is really important because your next assignment is going to require you to add on to the previous requirement. So in the first five minutes, I want you to come before him. We're going to come before him every morning, five minutes, and we're going to just rely on him. Lord, today's going to have some things I can't handle. And please teach me, soften my heart, that you will teach me through your word. And guess what the next part of your homework assignment is? You're going to add five more minutes, which you can do because you did the first five minutes, right? And you're rowing and you're rowing. Yeah, five, I can do it, I can do it. You're going to start reading, if you haven't been reading in the morning, at least five minutes. That makes a total of a whopping how many minutes? Okay. We're not going to do the math, but that's a very small fraction of our day. Okay, you would get really tired if we started breaking that down. All right, so we move on. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, and they anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in his in the marketplaces, they begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. And you, wow, you're like, really? They didn't actually have to touch him. They didn't have to do anything else other than what? Express a little faith. 
It's an expression of a little faith is what it is. And you can make it whatever you want to, but it's, that's what it was. And so Jesus healed many, many people because they had faith. We're going to see some other place in Mark, and I think Pastor I already covered, where he could do nothing. Why? Because they had no faith. No faith. Hard hearts, whatever it was, root cause. Now we look at John, and we're just going to take a little snippet of his picture. Of course, John has a little different view of things of what went down during that time. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for um, a lake, the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three of three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking in the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, "It is I. Don't be afraid." Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, if you did not have this little snippet from John, I would be missing a whole bunch. So first off, it's how far have they gone? Three or four miles. Okay. How many of you have ever rode three or four miles? Against the wind. Okay. <laughs> there are some unlucky people amongst us who had to do that. Okay. And it, was it treacherous? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Daryl's like, yeah, you don't, that's not what you choose to do. You try to get going with the wind. The whole sailboat idea is right in there. And yet at the same time, they had three or four, three or four miles, and it was from three to six in the morning. So it was early morning time, and he comes. And they, they, the interesting thing you see is that as he approaches the boat walking the water, they were frightened, and they said to him, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. What does that mean, willing to take him into the boat? They didn't think he was the Loch Ness monster anymore, and therefore they were willing to take him into the boat. That's what that kind of means. And they were super terrified. Remember Gabriel, when he shows up on the scene, what does he say? Don't fear, right? Don't fear. What if you see Jesus, or what you can't really see because it's early morning, and some, some being is walking on the water, okay? And you've been rowing a lot, and maybe some, there's some exertion there and possibly some dehydration or whatever's going on, and you're all kind of rubbing your eyes, and you see this person, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, my, they're not swimming. They're not on a boat. They are walking, and they're afraid. John, later on, um, says this. In one part, in one part Jesus uh, actually is quoted very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. When Jesus said, it is I, he used the words, the same words, I am. And that had a, a connection to deity that was very, very direct. Like, for example, have you already always existed? Have you always existed? Before 1967, I didn't exist. Before whatever year you were born, you didn't exist. When did Jesus first exist? Always. Before Abraham was born, I am. He is the eternal God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And what he's saying is to his disciples in a very, very clear way, you might have missed the message about the 5,000 or 20,000, but I do not want you to miss this. 
what you, who you've been following around for this long is the I am. He's very, very clear with this. And so he says, don't be afraid, which is necessary to say. If God says, hey, it is me, you're probably going to think, whoa. Not only did he walk on water, which gives validity to what he's saying, but he's also saying, you know what? I, I have a connection with you. Don't be afraid. There are certain physical laws that we're bound by, okay? So we're bound by those physical laws for, for a while. And so gravity is one of them. And the reason why Jesus didn't sink into the water is because, I, I'm just going to say maybe gravity, but I'm not going to limit it to that. God, God can do whatever he wants to do. So God has the ability to break physical laws, which we call what? It starts with an M. It's a miracle. And so he has this miraculous thing to point to him to to point out the fact that when he says, I am, that they would believe him. And so as he is doing this, this amazing thing, we see that John writes that they are, he says, they are immediately brought to the shore. What does it mean when, it, when I say immediately? What if, if you're a parent and you say immediately, what do you mean? <laughs> right now. Hut to, yeah, hut too, right? So John gives us this insight into the fact that as soon as he got in the boat and he had this interaction with them, they like warp-speeded. I don't know what it looked like. All I know is they were immediately there. Now that is breaking some physical laws that I don't even want to go into, but Jesus was making it very clear to his, to his disciples, you are not following John the Baptist anymore. There is something that has changed significantly. Remember the beheading of John the Baptist just before this one? And you're like, why is all that embedded in the, the feeding of the 5,000? Why would he even talk about that kind of thing? Because there's a new thing in town that God is doing, and John was the last prophet before the real deal. And they didn't know that, but Jesus was the real deal. And so he is speaking very clearly to his disciples in actions, miracles, and also in words. We look at the book of Matthew. So hang with me. This is Matthew's version. He gives us a little bit more insight, and I think you'll appreciate it because this is the story that you most probably are familiar with with this passage. Matthew is the one that's kind of talked about more in seminaries and stuff like that. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, so this is later, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. So what does he do? He gets on the mountainside and he does what? He stays there, doesn't he? And he's a considerable distance away, and... Of course, my eyesight is failing, but Jesus has the ability to actually see his disciples, which also lends the fact that, you know what, God is very, very sovereign in this passage. You can see that Jesus is showing that he can be in more places at one time than you and I. While he was walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, I am don't be afraid. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, this is new. This wasn't in the other ones, was it? So this is where Peter interjects in, and he sees this ghost. He's afraid like the rest of them. But all of a sudden, he's like, I think I hear that voice. 
I think I know what's going on here. Oh, this is the Lord. This is the man who I know and love and will serve. And so he says, if it is you, he's asking the question, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, did the Baptist preacher ask whether he should get out of the boat? No. He just saw two other numbskulls get out of the boat. And so he thought, man, if a Methodist could do it or a Presbyterian could do it, Baptist should be able to do it, right? And the point is this. Have you ever jumped out of the boat not asking God five minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the morning, or two hours late at night whether you should get out of the boat and then kind of look back and thought, huh, I should have asked whether I should have jumped or not. Even if everyone else is doing something, does it make it right to do it? No. And so we have this quandary because we live in a world that is very different, isn't it? Very different than how Jesus lived, for sure, and very different than probably how God would want us to live. And we look at our neighbors and we think, they're doing that, so, or the world's doing this, or our social media says this is okay, and yet God says what? I have a different journey for you. And so as Peter is asking this question, is it you? Tell me to come. He is asking permission to do what? Ah, yeah. To walk on the water, which would be the first human to ever what? Defy gravity and walk on the water. And it's an act of faith. It's an expression to the Lord to say, give me the faith to do this. And so we look at this and we think, he didn't, he, just, he didn't just immediately just jump out thinking, well, this is it. He actually had this interaction with the Lord. How important is your five minutes in the morning? Before you fire, whatever, what do they say? Measure twice, cut once, aim twice maybe, shoot once, I don't know, <laughs> something like that. He asked the Lord to say, you know, give me some, give me some counsel. And where do we seek counsel from? Yeah, from people who are mature. Like, for example, I'm going to pick him in this morning because it's his birthday. John, great guy to pick on because he has walked with the Lord quite a long time. And he would give you good counsel. And if you didn't believe his counsel, who you go to? Not someone who you think will tell you what you want to hear. That's the whole point. John will tell you, nope, I don't think that's, no, that's not a good idea, okay? Just, just saying, just don't go to the, that's what we do, don't we? We, we go to the people who are most, yeah. So our first five is super important. Then Peter got down out of the boat. Here's his, here's his faith walk. He walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, when he took his eyes off Jesus, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So he takes his eyes off the Lord. He had him locked on there. And all of a sudden, he's starting to sink because he's looking at his what? Around him? Starts with a C, and it takes us every day into a spiral when we don't spend time. Our circumstances, right? And so we look around, our circumstances, and we're like, oh, I'm sinking, I'm sinking, I can't do this. And the Lord's like, oh boy, we're going to have to do this syllabus thing all over tomorrow, and we're going to start off, and he will, but it makes it more painful. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. So did Jesus let him just sink? No. Are you God's kid? Are you sure? Okay. If someone's not sure, you need to make sure that you are in a relationship with Jesus that is an abiding relationship because that is so important because that's how he speaks to you. I'm not going to tell some other... Well, I might, but I'm not going to tell some other kid what to do. 
and that I'm just going to bias it, but, but if certainly if I care about my kids and I have a relationship with them, what am I going to do? I'm going to talk to that child. I'm going to correct them when they need to correct. I'm going to encourage them when they need encouraging. And I'm going to say hooray when they do something great. Jesus is no exception with us. And so we have this relationship. And it's super important to realize that God has us and he will catch us. Especially when we're doing some things that he's asked us to do that are very difficult. Because it's not always, it doesn't always look like this. And sometimes it looks like this for a while. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Okay, so the question is for you this morning. Why, did you, why do you doubt? You're in a storm right now, right? You've been in a storm lately. Why do you doubt? Fear, I heard it. Fear, right? It is, and fear, that's true. Fear will drive us because fear is a huge, huge thing in our lives. And God has put us, allowed us to have fear for obviously for good reasons. Because I should fear certain things. I should fear the Lord, first of all. And then there's a lot, to, a lot of other things I should fear as well. But it says 365 times, do not what? In his word. Isn't that amazing that that one thing would be such a big deal? Why? Because he knows us, and he knows we're prone to fear, which is what? The antidote to faith. It'll kill your faith. It will for sure. Why did you doubt? Because of fear. And fear... It has to be based on God's word. We have to have that. Otherwise, we will fear. And when they climbed into the boat, both of them, isn't that cool that Peter and Jesus climbed in the boat? The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped, or those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Do you think they got the lesson? I think they did. And you'll see later on, he's going to feed 4,000, and they're going to have a little bit of a different perspective on how that all shook down. And then we have this section here, also in Matthew. When they had crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. And so these men who now have declared him to be the Son of God now see, oh, this is the Son of God in action. And the reason why he's doing these things, even though these people don't recognize him fully for who he is and they're being healed, they, they will soon. And, the, and another thing is that the disciples' ministry that they had come back so excited about right before the feeding of 5,000 had spread the word so much about Jesus that these people were responding to what they had done as they went out into the countrysides and so now they're being connected not with the disciples who had healed and cast out demons and come back from the mission trip all excited. Look at what we did. Now who's the primary player? Jesus is. And people are getting connected with the source that they will need to connect with as Jesus' ministry uh, progresses. God has you and me on a journey. It's, I call it the lower story. God has an upper story, and he's... And through a tapestry, he's, he's weaving our lower stories together. And so we, are, we have relationships together. And so Quentin and I know each other. We have certain things to encourage each other. Franklin and I know each other. Certain things we encourage each other through. And so we have this tapestry that's being weaved. And it is God's journey that he is bringing us on. The question is this. Does God have you where he wants you to be? Okay? Does he have you where he wants you to be? Are you in the middle of a... Of, a storm in the middle of an ocean going through some very difficult things. And is this part of his plan for you? Good thing to ask yourself. 
God is watching you. He is from afar, but he is watching you. He has ultimate interest as you as his child. He wants to see you grow in your faith and come into a more intimate relationship with him, and he desires that more than, more than we could possibly understand. God is just this person who wants his kids to glorify him. We're straining, we're in circumstances, and just because the wind is against us, sometimes maybe that wind is, is against us because we took a wrong turn, we should have asked God about this or that, or maybe it's because he has a process by which he's going to strengthen us, and we're not prepared for what he has in the future because he has good plan for us. And to, in order to strengthen us to a point where, where we would have 11 out of 12 men die because of their faith, at the point of, do you believe Jesus? This is going to mean your life. From, the, from this feeding of 5,000 to the point where they are willing to say, I will die, push the spear through, hang me, whatever it is, crucify me. Jesus had lessons. The syllabus was already there. And so for us too, what is it that we're going through that we need to just look and see what is, it, what is God doing for us? And can I see this as an opportunity to grow or do I need to kind of ramp back and, and get on the right track? Trust expectantly 5,000 people. You feed them that, that God will actually provide for us. Listen to his voice and remember what he has done in the past. Can you think of one thing that God has done in your life that was a miracle? That you can say, yeah, that was my personal miracle. I was in a pinch. I didn't have rent or I, I had this thing going on and all of a sudden it just went away. This medical thing or whatever it is. Or I had a relationship issue and God healed that relationship. Can you think of some of those things? Because whenever you're in a storm, guess what you need to look back at? The 5,000. Because that will allow you to realize God has my back. God is watching the situation and he is in control of those things. We're going to skip one thing. You need to get out of the boat. Ask first. Ask first, right? Don't just get out of the boat. That was what the Baptist preacher did wrong. So how many of you have been coming to church, and several times when Pastor Tri was preaching, I was preaching, you've been kind of poked or prodded or encouraged to go do something that you really felt the Lord wanted you to do? Mm -hmm. Okay, good, good. God is actually speaking to you. And sometimes people say, I just, it meant so much when you said that. And I'm like, I don't even remember saying that because that was for you. And so when God speaks to you and he encourages you to do things, what he's saying is come. And if we don't come, what happens next? Well, now there's another lesson, okay? <laughs> so, and that lesson may be a little different than the previous one. But if we just sit at the sidelines the whole time, and maybe it's, you just need to, maybe you need to make it a, a real point to spend more time with believers who can encourage you. And you just need to do that because summer's coming, and I know that this is a problem. Or maybe you need to be in a small group where other people who are also learning about God's Word can encourage you and just give you some insight into God's Word that He gives to each one as they're there. Or maybe you need to be involved in a women's ministry or a men's ministry or something that's going on that God has prompted you to do. Not out of obligation, just because you think everybody else is jumping on the boat, I'm going to do that too. But that God is actually saying, you know what, I have a plan for your life and I'm going to use you. And if you are not being used as a Christian right now, I think you better get out of the boat, honestly. I'm just being honest. Get out of the boat. There is too much 
to do that will bless you because when you, when you keep what you have, it shrivels. When you give what you have, it grows. And you are encouraged. Have, has anyone had an experience where you, you didn't want to do something for someone else and you did it and afterwards you're like, man, I'm glad I did that. Okay, raise your hand. I want, to ra- want you to raise your hand. Okay, in a psychology experiment, I don't know what they call this. I would call this God working through the gifting of his people. And when you are using his gifts, guess what? It's like, a, it's like an orchestra because everyone's using their own things uniquely as they've been gifted. And it's pretty powerful. We saw this yesterday. What is it? It's a promise of something, right, that God gave us? So we have this Baptist preacher who just stepped out of the boat, plunged into the water, and is probably pretty shook. And sometimes it's difficult for us to move forward. And in our own strength, sometimes we move forward without asking God. And so we want him to say, come, for sure. So don't just jump out of the boat haphazardly. But a lot of times we, just, we, have, the, we have to have this kind of a initiation. And so life is bigger than us, and so we're fearful, and we, and we have these apprehensions that we have. And so we read in this story, the Baptist preacher, is, he says, it says, he's embarrassed and soaking wet, but he gets back in the boat. So this man is ready to, to get back in the boat. He steps out, and what does he do? I love him. I just love him. I really do. He gets back in the boat. What does he do? What would you do? Have you ever failed in ministry? Have you ever wanted to go on a mission trip or wanted to go to a small group or wanted to be a, a blessing to someone else? and it kind of failed or frazzled or didn't go the way you thought it would go? And then what do you do? You go, oh, I guess God doesn't want to use me, right? No. He steps out. He plunges right back into the water again, almost drowns. It's okay. It's all right. We do that a lot. The Methodist pastor looked at the Presbyterian pastor and said, Maybe we should tell them where the rocks are. God's promises are his stepping stones to guide us through the storms of life. Your next assignment is your second five minutes to look up the promises. As you read God's word, what do you want me to do? Plant your life on those things and don't do it on your own strength. Seek his, seek his rocks. Seek, seek the steps. Put those promises in your head and realize, okay, God has a plan for me. It's not going to be smooth. Could be a lot of rowing involved, but persistence helps. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for every gospel, how it gives us insight into this miracle that you did with your disciples, not only teaching them how to have faith and greater faith and to trust you more, but for us too, as we, we see that we need to be used by you because we're part of your upper story. Our lower stories are all part of that. God, help us to, to, to use the gifts that you've given us to express faith in those areas that we need to express faith. God, that we would give you 10 minutes, five to seek you and pray and to just to ask you to soften our hearts and at least five more that we would spend reading about your promises, spending time in your word, and that it would transform our lives this week, that we would be so encouraged by it that, that we'd be even telling our friends, you know what? I've been doing this thing, and it's really changed my life. I pray this in your son's name.
Amen.